Hello, and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined as always by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. Let's do it. All right, so we are here with our summer wrap-up of the films of 2014. Mm-hmm. And today we are enjoying some simple end-of-summer beverages. Nathan, you want to talk about it? Yeah, well, it's the end of summer. Times are tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Living ain't easy anymore. Yeah, no. So uh, we're going simple. We have some cider, some beer. We're not even going to say what it, I don't even know what I'm drinking, but um, it's beer, it's a saison of something, of some sort. Um, but we have an honorary drink oh. today. Tell and us. And if we had all the money in the world, or even just a little money, we would be having something called the Green Drop Drink, <laughs> which is a classic film cocktail um, from the classic film Congo, based on the book by Michael Crichton. Yeah, classic. Starring That's... Laura Linney uh, and, and some other, other people. But the, yeah, the real star <clears throat> of Congo, which is on Netflix Instant, so you have no excuse not to watch it, uh, is Amy the Gorilla who not only signs, but she speaks with the help of some sort of contraption. But apparently she also has this uh, martini addiction, um, and she calls it the green drop drink. Um, but really, you should watch the movie. It's a, There's a hilarious scene involving this drink. But it, to my eyes, it's a classic, classic <laughs> martini with green olive stuffed with pimento, and uh, that's what we, in spirit, are drinking. Right now. Green drop drink. Now, just... <laughs> and it calms. Yeah, it calms her down. <laughs> She's allowed one a day. <laughs> yeah. So I was here's thinking, to Amy. Uh, cheers. Clink. Clink. Speaking of Amy and apes and yes. gorillas, though, the first film uh, that we saw um, this would be picking up from when, like July-ish. July ish. July. Our last half of the summer. Uh, the first film we would have seen was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Wait, did we even say this is part two of our summer movies? I did. I Does think I said our wrap-up. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sure you did. It. I know that the savvy listeners are right. <laughs> they may have drifted off with the green drop drink, so I'm bringing them back in. Okay, now we're, we're back. Two. Thank God for you, Nate. <laughs> Oof. Um, so yeah, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, once again, it's Andy Serkis and some other actors um, doing motion capture to mm-hmm. portray the apes. Um, and then there's some human actors too, but basically it picks up, I don't know, probably a decade. Yeah. A few years a at little, least. Yeah. Since, well, it must be significant time because Andy Serkis says Caesar now has a teenage to grown son. That's son. true. Well, who knows? Well, what in eight years. years. That's true. Apes are like dogs, so maybe it's been like three years. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a week since <laughs> been a week. James Franco was just buried. Anyways. <laughs> Boy, this synopsis is real good. Great, I think it's what they should put on. What IMDb. was the first one called? The first, the first one was or the Rise, first, of, the Rise of it. Okay, well, there's so many at this point. I yeah. don't know. All right, so um, we rose, and now this is the dawn. Yes, of the, the planet and so most humans have been extinct. Um, <laughs> extinct. <laughs> extinct. <laughs> most humans have died. They're going extinct from um, 
the simian flu, which is released at the end of Rise, which I can only say because then I rewatched Rise recently after we saw Dawn of Planet gotcha. Apes. Um, but there are some humans who have a natural immunity to it, so they're still kicking. <laughs> Alive and kicking. And uh, meanwhile, the apes have descended into the forest right outside of San Francisco, and they um, are living, they have their whole own society set up. Mm-hmm. in which Caesar, played by Andy Serkis, is the leader. Um, and one of my favorite, actually, I think we all, but I really liked the movie a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought one of the most beautiful parts, though, was the beginning when, like, the first 20 minutes is really just showing us the ape habitat and sort of the society they've built. It opens with them hunting it opens, you start to see their structure, but it's almost all silent because even though the apes kind of have language, most of them don't talk. They sign. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's all the apes signing and there are subtitles to it. And I just thought it was a really like, for like a big summer movie. Right. That's like studio produced and right. funded. Yeah. To be subtitled in sign language and just CGI characters like it was a really nice and it set a nice groundwork for the world that the rest of the movie would take place in yeah which was pretty intimate I mean obviously the scope is pretty large if you know like where the story is going but it's right. still just you know the radius of where the action takes place is just basically right. in and around San Francisco post this virus and whatnot but I yeah I remember really liking it but I have to be honest that you know what is it two months later it's not. It didn't really stick with me that much. There are definitely some scenes and moments that I, I remember, and I know generally I was very positive on it. But yeah, yeah, I think I was maybe impressed more than I really enjoyed myself. Mm-hmm. Part part of the time, I think a lot of the shots were beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about one of the shots. If you've seen the movie, there's a shot um, that kind of tracks a character as they are um, inside of a tank. Taking over a tank. Taking yeah. over a tank. And it's just, it's stunning. But it also, and not only visually stunning, but it says so much about the character and the kind of, um, the balance between humanity and Like the long animal. tracking shot during the, like, battle yeah it's a long tracking shot during the battle um there yeah there are some moments like that that are just exquisite right that you don't see in big budget yeah and i was really surprised and i think i said it to you guys fairly soon after we came out of the movie which is i was surprised by how the movie seems sort of pro gun control oh very Um, explicitly and and Guns, and even more than just guns, but, like, warfare, and the idea that warfare is very much a man-made creation, and the uh, the apes only sort of take it on once they've been sort of influenced by human response to them, mm. um, which is sort of interesting that it's maybe not natural ape instinct, you know, to pick up guns, oh, sure. and I don't know, it was just an interesting take on, like, it's like seeing war from an outsider's perspective mm-hmm. who's never really experienced what modern human warfare is with the machine guns and the tanks and that 360 shot we were talking about you also then get to see a 360 of all the battle going on around this character and it's mm-hmm. like fire and explosions and gunshots and death and it's I don't know so I thought that was an interesting message to have in a 
For Again, sure. And it could have had an even stronger message if it had stronger human characters. True. Yeah. Kind of had the same Godzilla problem where you cared a lot more about the CGI peeps. Totally. <laughs> well, but these CGI peeps were at least peeps. Right. right. I mean, they were fully fleshed out characters. Right. Well, the male ones. Speak. Well, that's yeah. true. Women Definitely are just there. Too. Problem. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I am getting to the point where I feel like a broken record. And, but well, it is, but it is fine. sort of a. It was true in this movie. It, it is sort of a problem that I think there's only even one female ape that we meet, and she is basically just sick. Yeah, Caesar's wife. Caesar's wife. But there are many, and I know I had this conversation with you too. My favorite character of the whole movie, Maurice, is Maurice. Yes. Who is the orangutan? Mm-hmm. And Maurice is incredible. Um, he forms a friendship with the human son of Carrie Russell's character. Mm-hmm. He really likes comic books or manga or something. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that character is it's even shown in that opening you know, segment when they're sh- showing you what society is like for the apes, the society they've built, that Maurice is the teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting because Maurice has what are traditionally female gendered roles like Maurice Mm -hmm. is very actually maternal and kind of a pacifist and the teacher and the nurturer like serves that purpose and and is actually played motion captured by a woman yeah a woman does so it's just weird to me that they couldn't make that character and the character is in Rise of the Planet of the Apes so it started back in the previous movie I don't mean to put the onus on whoever did this script and in the movie, but, um, you know, it's just weird that they couldn't make that character just go ahead and make it female. Yeah, why not? It wouldn't even be breaking normal gendered roles in society in the roles that Maurice fills. Mm-hmm. But I did love Maurice. Yeah, Maurice, love Maurice is the best. And I thought Carrie, Carrie Russell made me care more about her character than I should have because it was completely not even written. Right. Same with Jason Clark. Like, they were both underwritten, but they both... Acted well, like they shaded it a little bit more. Which you know, I also love Jason Clark. As well, you should. Yeah. Well, going back to the um, the whole theme about uh, the apes coming into war and um, those kind of violent ideals through human contact, I think it's interesting. I think the movie leans a little too heavily on that and maybe on that side of the spectrum in terms of its messaging and its anti or its (laughs) anti-gun pro-gun control (laughs) messaging um because i mean we're talking about apes like apes in the wild rip each other apart like this is totally but, but so what i think is interesting is that um a character like caesar is raised by a human and is kind of gentler and has this kind of pacifist streak Mm -hmm. in him because of human contact whereas uh not koba Koba, Mm -hmm. um has the the warlike mentality also kind of instilled by human contact so it's uh, i don't know the 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 message that um this higher intelligence that the humans have have brought you know burdens and positive things to the world where they can go in the direction of peace or i mean that's a classic you know sort of thing to 
investigate in literature and movies and what it means to be human, but I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and they could have gone further with that instead of being so blatantly right. gun control. Yeah. Non-subtle. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nothing about the movie was subtle. Although, I will say one thing now that I'm reflecting on it and the character of Koba, which I think, you know, Andy Serkis kind of got stuck in this movie, and I remember we talked about it when we came out of it, with being, like, the frustrated, stoic leader who wants peace, which he does really well, but it's just not as interesting to watch, as opposed yeah. to, like, his performance in Rise, which was capturing sort of a right, sentient being arc. becoming, yeah. growing, right? Yeah. Just as mm -hmm. a person. Um... But I thought Tony Cabell, Kebel, who played uh, Kobo, was amazing. Totally. And we can talk about the scene, his highlight scenes, in oh, just yeah. a moment. I mean, but um, the other thing I'm struck by is the conversation that we were having, which is, I think, a big problem with most of the blockbusters we've seen, is that the villains are completely not memorable. Like, we'll talk about it when we get to Guardians of the Galaxy, that yeah. the villain was an almost non-entity. And I would say almost the same in Winter Soldier. Like, it's Robert Redford and right. and the Winter Soldier, but for most of it, he's just masked, and you don't know Robert Redford is the bad. You know what I mean? Like, there's, mm -hmm. like, a continual problem of Edge of Tomorrow, which I really liked. It's just some random alien that you don't even know. They or their much about, yeah. Their motivations. Yeah. So one of the great things about this movie was it had a fully fleshed out villain that you understood, totally. you understood his motivations, yep. he, you know, wonderfully performed, it was yep. really a showcase for that actor, so I applaud totally. that. And yeah, but what you were saying about the highlight, I mean, definitely, I think, I think we all agree yes. that the best scene or two scenes of the film are when Koba and he drags along one or two other apes go to like spy on the human camp which is like more in the city in san francisco and he goes and sees their stockpile of guns and whatnot and two of the guys who are like testing out the guns see him but then he sort of plays dumb like a dummy like like oh I'm, i was like raised a on a circus right so yeah. he does like some tricks or whatever they're like oh stupid ape that's funny and then he leaves or whatever but it's super high intention but super funny and then he comes back and you know clearly these humans are in trouble the second time. But it's so good and it's so well shot. And you think they might be in trouble the first time too. Well, yeah. Like when nothing does happen and he just leaves, it's such a relief. And so yeah, when that yeah. scene replays, then you know like... That was an amazing scene. I think I, I yelped or screamed or something. You probably did. <laughs> and, the performance, very well done. and the performance in that is so great. And yeah. to be able to walk that line between being both funny and crazy tense. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite. The movie is not... I liked the movie, mm -hmm. um, and the movie made me excited for that, for Matt Reeves, the director, yeah. because I thought it was really well shot, mm -hmm. um, but it might have my favorite scene of the summer, being that scene. Yeah, that was Those definitely up there, for sure. Together. I think, overall, I, my lack of love or slight hesitation on loving it is, it feels like a middle film, like, totally. from the beginning to the end, not really, it doesn't really propel this franchise forward that much mm -hmm. it was really well told and i thought it was really well shot and well done but really not too much no. happens and again you can add in some female characters yeah just always a problem like, it's really like i it's it's really weird this summer and i had a conversation with a another friend of mine like it's really weird to see how underrepresented 
women are mm -hmm. and my response to it that doesn't even that's because even like edge of tomorrow actually had a really strong female protagonist mm -hmm. but beyond that there was like on the team of soldiers there was a female in that group and it was like not really commented on and there were like a few extras that were women speaking parts and you saw women working in the background right and i remember when i saw that being struck by like how rare that even is to Which literally is so have sad. female extras Unless, of course, you need someone to be, like, raped or murdered, and then... Well, speaking of female <laughs> characters, let's move on to probably the best female character of the summer in a film that only Elizabeth <laughs> saw, so she can she can discuss the merits of Scarlett Johansson as Lucy. <laughs> I could do a whole podcast on this. Oh, no. But I will not. <laughs> um, I thought Lucy was really dumb. <laughs> Lucy <laughs> herself or the movie or both? All of it. Because I hear she uses, like... <laughs> more of her brain, right? Like 100%. Like imagine Speaking what you Speaking of do. Like scientific accuracy. Well, to be honest, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it before on, on previous podcasts. I really like Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. I totally root for her. I think that she should get her own Black Widow movie. It's crazy that that hasn't been greenlit like right away. Right. Because she can carry it and this just proved it. So I'm really happy Lucy did really well for a couple reasons. One, it hopefully will show that like Scarlett Johansson can carry an action movie. Mm -hmm. And two, it also shows a that like, can. oh, people will go see movies with women in the lead role and not just women. Right. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, Mystic Pizza 3. <laughs> I wish there was a Mystic Pizza 3. Is there a 2? No. We'll no. <laughs> just skip 2, go right to 3, and then do a prequel. Um, however, I was disappointed because, so, first off, it's just batshit crazy, which I could kind of excuse, except for it was also sort of boring. Okay. Like, she, first off, you know, I was all pumped to be like, yeah, watch a strong woman kick ass. But unfortunately, people seem to think that strong woman actually just means the kick-ass part and not like right. a well-rounded character and she starts the movie super dumb like super dumb in like a trashy leopard print dress and sky-high heels and she print. gets tricked into taking this package in and that's how she gets you know the drugs in her belly whatever watch the trailer it's pretty self-explanatory and then once the drugs explode in her stomach she just goes straight into being like a robot because I don't know if you know this, but as your brain can process more, once you're using more than 10%, you also lose the ability to have, like, empathy and feel things. But you also get, like, superpowers, and you can, like, control time. And... True. None of which makes sense. <laughs> I mean, but this I could... is offensively preposterous. <laughs> this entire premise. Terrible. And it also wastes so much time with Morgan Freeman's character talking about this made-up pseudoscience. Like, I would rather just go with it instead right. of having... But the other thing that I was bummed by is, like, we know Scarlett Johansson can be an action star. She literally has one actual scene, I think, where she physically fights someone, which is right after the drugs have been released. Well, because she system. just has to use her mind. After right, that, and so right? after that, but it means, oh <laughs> action-wise, it means watching her walk like a robot and just staring at people as they, like, float up at the ceiling. And it was cool visuals. It was cool visuals, and it was, like... Oh, no. A decently shot action, but she's not actually doing any of the action. And then they had to add in this whole subplot where she finds a French police officer to help her. What? So he's the one who... So there's a big like a shootout. Kind of. Except oh. for she can't feel love because she's a robot at this point. <laughs> of course not. But despite the <laughs> fact that she can't feel love, he's like, why do you still need me? And she kisses him and is like, to remember. 
Oh no. Oh, no. And it's like, why do we have to? And then we view the rest of her actions like through his eyes. She's literally the only female character. There's one scene oh, where she talks nice. on the phone to her mother, which is an interesting scene. I actually liked that scene. And then a short scene with her roommate, who basically is a dumb slut. <laughs> Annalise. Emily Tipton, who I love, yeah, but she like basically her. is like, I slept with this guy, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the scene, uh, Scarlett Johansson is like, you have a liver disease, you need to make some life changes or something, and then leaves. What? Yeah, it's really funny, actually. I have to see this. <laughs> but, but I was just, like, bummed that, because I was all set for it to be a dumb, but, like, female-empowered movie, and yeah. instead, everything is seen through, like, the male lens, mm. and she doesn't even get to do that much. And her outfits consist of Two tight dresses, one pre-drugs, one post-drugs, mm-hmm. her underwear, mm-hmm. and jeans and a, like, white see-through t-shirt with, like, a black bra. Of course. And so everything about, you know what I mean? I was just... It like, would make sense if you could use 100% of your brain. Power, <laughs> I, know, so, I, yeah. I guess I was just disappointed because I was hoping it would be something I, where I could be, like, excited by watching an empowered woman. Instead, it was so much still through the male gaze and dumb and, you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 that there was no redeeming feature for me. Except for the animal cutaways, which were hilarious. Like Tree of Life style, that's what I've heard. Like animals humping and... And Like um, dinosaurs? Cheetahs chasing a gazelle. Aren't there dinosaurs? Oh yeah, and then at the end she time travels and she sees a dinosaur where New York City used to be. And then she meets the original, like... Neanderthal? Neanderthal woman, Lucy. Who she shares oh. a name with, and they recreate the 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 creation, <laughs> like the touching of the fingers. The touching of fingers. Oh, well, I, I think mean, I'm allergic to that movie, and that's why I'm sneezing. Yeah, it's real dumb. But moving on, I was disappointed in it. But I'm glad it did well at the box office. If it means more films, not films starring women, get me. Right. Well, you would think, but I feel like we say the same. We sing the same true, tune every year. True, it's true. like, oh, what bridesmaids? There's a the heat. There's a market for, right. for female-oriented films. Right. Well, all in all, for Lucy, two thumbs up. <laughs> Clearly, right. that is the takeaway. It's my favorite movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, the next film that we would have seen uh, was Richard Linklater's Boyhood, um, which I think we can all definitely recommend. This is uh, the film that they started filming in, I think, 2002. Two, I think. It took 11 or 12 years, and they basically filmed a few scenes or some footage for like a week or two once a year. Yeah. So it took, you know, it's, it's more than a decade in the making, but it's also really, really cool to see the evolution, not only of obviously the characters in the story, but you see these actors age as it progresses. And it's, it's a very unique, Oh, Nathan hates when I say that you can't say very unique. It's, it's something's unique or it's not, it's a unique film. <laughs> it was yeah. certainly an achievement. Yeah, uh, it's, I think we've all, at one point or another, I mean, we've talked about this film offline, so to speak. <laughs> extensively, um, yeah. Extensively, we, because there's a lot to talk it, about. Yeah, and um, I think at one point or another, all of us have felt the sense of being more impressed with it structurally and as a piece of art and, a, and as a mm-hmm. film than really loving it in a sort of personal, sentimental way or really connecting to it mm-hmm. fully. That's a great way to say it, yeah. Um, 
It's and awesome. I think that's and it's not. I mean, it's great. I connected to it more than ninety five percent of movies that I see, but um, it's also something that's yeah. really sticking with me. You know, it really lingers, and I, you know, we've discussed it extensively already because we've all seen it. But it's also one I don't. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to talk too much about because it. it is really just like it. You stumble upon these things that these events that happen and, and whatnot yeah i agree i'm reticent to talk about even more than most movies the plot right not that it's like spoiler alerts or that it's plot focused or heavy but not at all it's just it, it's kind of a magic it's definitely see it yeah. yeah absolutely see it it's definitely one of the best films that was released this summer i think and, and it's been really sick it's going to gross more than like 20 million which is pretty good right. for um a film of this size. I can't believe, I forget, is it IFC films? that yeah, I can't IFC. believe that they were like, sure, in 2002, Richard Linklater will give you the funding to make this film over the course of several years, when this was even before Before Sunset. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I love, the, yeah, I love the films he makes. I and really I, do. I think, I think as an actual, like, emotionally, what Nathan said about emotionally resonating it probably did so the least with me. Partly, as we've talked about, a lot of Because it wasn't his... girlhood? No, but and I, <laughs> and I don't mean to say that I can't relate, but a lot of his aspects of his childhood weren't similar to my own. I mean, there were some mm. universal childhood experiences, but, mm. um, you know, there were things about it, partly because I think some of them were very much boy-related, which I appreciate, and there's a place for that. I don't mean to criticize this film, because it also has oh. one of the best really well-drawn female characters, which is Patricia Arquette as yeah. his mother. And I loved her in this movie. She's I thought great. She was so good. So I don't even mean on that. I just mean, you know, it's a movie that plays a little bit on nostalgia. For sure. For our own childhood, and it didn't yep. connect as much to me. But I so appreciate, I would rather films like this get made. Absolutely. Than the next but Michael Lucy? Bay. <laughs> Wait, but Lucy or Boyhood? Which would you recommend more? <laughs> Lucy, I thought we established right. Okay, okay. I thought of so. all time. <laughs> I also think we'll, that we'll discuss Boyhood more as it gets further into Oscar season. I don't yeah. think it's a slam dunk for nominations, but I think you know it's definitely going to be in the conversation for right. picture, director, screenplay. Again, I feel a little bit like I felt about Snowpiercer. Although I think I like I enjoyed Snowpiercer more. Like I would be more tempted on a Saturday afternoon to pop in and like watch Snowpiercer. Yeah. Um, but I just appreciate that there are directors like. Richard Linklater and Director Bong, Director Bong Jun Ho, who are who are working and and making films that are different and have a point of view and feel personal to the people making it, both the director and cast, you know, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just another glossy, whatever. Right. So yeah, yeah, go see Boyhood. Absolutely, seek it out, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, moving on to something that. You've probably already seen because it's already the number one grossing film of the year yeah. um, until I guess the next Hunger Games comes out. Uh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy, which Nathan didn't see, did not see with us, but Elizabeth and oh, I saw. Oh darn! <laughs> no, it was I good. Really good things. Yeah. I'm sure I liked it, but I think I liked it more than you, Matt. You did. Um, I really enjoyed it. This was remind me. Speaking of nostalgia, like mm -hmm. that movie made me nostalgic for movies I liked in my childhood. 
Totally. Like, I talked to my sister. Well, it plays a lot on nostalgia, too. Like, the whole soundtrack. Oh, it does. The soundtrack yeah. is amazing. It really is. Download the soundtrack. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to my I talked to my sister after I had seen it, and I really loved it, and she really loved shout it. Shout out to M's. And we were, so shout out to M Selner. <laughs> and we, um, her address is, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, and we were talking guy? about it, and she saw it with her boyfriend, and she was saying that, they came out of it saying, I feel like this is what it felt like in 1979 when people saw our Star Wars for the first time. Yeah. 77, sorry. And that it's just really fun and new and the characters are really well drawn. I mean, again, we talked about, I think the biggest problem with the movie is that the plot, you and I just tried to recount oh, the plot. Oh, I do not remember. I know I liked it. It's super entertaining. It's super entertaining. Which but if I had to write like... A paragraph, not even like a thesis, like just one paragraph describing what happens. I could describe to you the characters because that's what really makes this work and what is really going to make a great franchise out of it and why it's so successful is these are really great, fun characters that are not your typical superheroes. Superheroes, well, they're not even really superheroes. They don't really have any special superpowers. Um, But it's like a good TV show. You know, you tune into the TV show either because it's on CBS and has a good plot with right. likable characters, or it's got great characters right. and you, that are people you want to see week in and week out. Right. And this, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this franchise and where yeah. it goes, provided they get a good villain, because oofta. Right. right. No. Which, again, maybe was also part of they had so much to set up in the world. <laughs> right, <laughs> so much. get around to it. I did really like, you know, spoiler alert, sorry, Nathan. That the end sort of hinged on instead of a big, and I think we talked about this when we got out, mm-hmm. that it doesn't end with yet another big climactic punch fight shootout. Right, where there's a hero. Right, that because also I get so bored with the big, like, our hero punching the villain over mm-hmm. and over. Like, it just all blends together for me. I liked that it was a funny moment into a moment about, like, teamwork yeah. And friendship. the importance of friendship. Bonding. Absolutely. Which is kind of a great message for you assume that this is also a kid's movie. Like, it's great mm-hmm. for kids that the message isn't about the white guy hero. This sounds yeah. like a bunch of liberal property. <laughs> <laughs> I am nothing, if not. <laughs> but, I mean. <laughs> propagandist. Bradley Cooper. So, Rocket Raccoon is so amazing. Voice cast. Dave Bautista. Like, isn't he like a WWE guy? He's great. He was hilarious. Well, there's a lot of acting involved. There actually was. I mean, more so for him. No, no, no. In WWE. Oh, that's true. That's true. There is, but we also get the, like... But he was, like, super funny. Jesse Ventura's of the world, who maybe are... Well, the Hulk Hogan. The Hulk Hogan. (laughs) No, he had, like, charisma. He had comic timing that I was really surprised with. He totally understood that character and what was funny about that character and how to respond and relate to the other actors and characters. It was well done. And then you can't give Vin Diesel too much credit, but... I mean, Groot is basically, like, the character of the summer. Oh, no. To- I mean... Mostly because of, like, that end credit scene. First like, off, I'm already... I'm amazing. <laughs> first off, I'm already scripting a spinoff. It's <laughs> just a road movie about Groot and Maurice from Dawn of the Planet of the Yes. <laughs> oh, that is a mashup I would love to see. Because they were my two favorite characters <laughs> of the whole summer. There's a lot, because obviously Oggs has been a Can we just on. throw Amy in there from Congo? And let's throw Amy in there, and they'll all just drink green drop drinks. <laughs> green drop drinks. The whole time. Tickle me. Until they get too Tickle poor me. by the end, and then they'll drink cider and beer. Ugly woman. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, and you know what? And I, I, it's a little bit of a bummer that the Gamora, the female character, mm-hmm. ended up being the straight person of the group. Yeah. But I also appreciated that Zoe she was, and as that is Zoe Saldana, who I'm not a huge fan of her. I like her. She, she just gets everything. Like, there are other actresses. It's true. But you know what? To, for a minority woman to have three franchises? It's crazy. Yeah. Good I'm for her. actually all right with that. Admiral. It would be great if it was spread You're out. You're counting but... Center Stage as a franchise. <laughs> yes. I'm also scripting four <laughs> sequels to Center Stage. Yes. Right after we get to that <laughs> Mystic Pizza 3. <laughs> um, but I appreciated that her character, though, was self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and and had a clear backstory that this one very much featured on Peter Quill, who I can't say enough about Chris oh, Pratt and love, how charming he love, is, love, and love. I have a major major crush on him and just love Chris Pratt. But I could see like the second the follow up movie to this could easily focus on her on her character and backstory, and there were enough seeds planted in this for that to make sense. Yep. Um, and I liked actually of the villains who were not fleshed out. The one who was most fleshed out was the, the sister. The sister, yeah. her fe- the female villain, Karen. Karen Gillan played it. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the character. Uh, um, it's like blue lady. Zathura. <laughs> Isn't that the Jumanji? <laughs> yeah. The Space movie. I hope her name was Zathura. <laughs> um, which I appreciated. I appreciated. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was super fun, which is what... Glenn Close was in there for some reason, what? getting John a paycheck. C. John C. Riley just getting that paycheck. No. I don't, I'm not sure where they're going with this Benicio Del Toro character, but... Who knows? Marvel has a Marvel plan. Marvel has a plan, and we're with them for the next decade and a half. They've got our our lives planned. It was definitely the most the fun I had. Of just it was like, a lot of fun. It was hilarious. I laughed so hard. Yeah, I mean, clearly the plot didn't necessarily stick with oh, us, no, but no, the characters no. are great. It's super enjoyable. Right. I would rewatch it in a heartbeat, and that's why it's getting repeat business and yeah. major box office. So good, good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you, James Gunn. Uh, moving on to not <laughs> a successful box office or really successful anything. Um, one of <laughs> Nathan's favorite books, and my, I mean, no, a, a great. Too, yeah. Nostalgic book is uh, Lois Lowry's The Giver. We were all excited for this film to exist at I mean, some point. Yeah, I think it is my favorite book. Sent, if just sentimentally speaking, mm-hmm. the book that had the greatest impact to me, impact on me at a critical point in my life. Yeah, um, last year. The movie, not so much. Yeah, no. Um. Not so much Nathan, at all. Nathan, how did you feel about <laughs> Jeff Bridges' performance? Well, yeah. So there were two major things wrong with this movie. Oh, just two? Well, m- many more, but two fundamental things. One was Jeff Bridges. And, you know, if I wanted to watch Jeff Bridges choke on a pretzel. <laughs> or a ham bone, I think, was what came to mind while I was watching it. Uh, for two hours, I would probably call him up and pay him to do that for me. Thomas. <laughs> I mean, what was, he, like, I fear for his health yeah, and he sanity. Ill. I think he was just, but like, I really think older this was, and wiser. No, but... he was, he, regardless, I, I worry about his health and sanity if that is his acting 
Detroit. <laughs> to, I mean, there's gruff, and then there's like bag of gravel <laughs> being dragged along a side road in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> that is an evocative image. Just yeah. no. And it apt. <laughs> it made me so angry. Okay, uh, so wait, sign, what were the two so, problems? <laughs> also, I like that the flip side. You know how people are like, I love Meryl Streep so much. I would watch her read a read a phone read book. A phone book yeah. I like that the flip side of that is, <laughs> if I wanted to watch someone choke on a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's the second? Well, just (laughs) the entire message of the movie is is gone. I mean, if you if you look at what the book is telling young people, because it's a young adult book, Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't read it, I have no sympathy. So, spoiler alert. (laughs) I mean, but. It's part of what it's telling people and kids is that life is messy. You don't always, you know, life is ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Things don't always work out. This world is beautiful, but it's not perfect and not all, you know, in order and not controllable all the time. Um, And, and, you know, part of that is the ending of the book, which is inherently ambiguous um, you don't quite know if the main character has gone to a better place or simply gone. Dead. He's talking about death. Yeah, I'm talking about death here. That's how I interpret the book. Though right, when I mentioned that to you when I reread this a few years ago, you said you had never considered that. Which, no, which I would also like to point true. sums up their <laughs> life goals, which is that Nathan is inherently optimistic and mad. <laughs> Which is really not even true at all. No, I don't. Um, but I like to pretend it is. Um, <laughs> but then, so you get, so there's that, and then you get the movie, which is like, it's like this community that they've developed is supposed to be this perfect, controlled environment, which is the antithesis of what being human and being alive is all about. And then by the end of the movie, it's all wrapped up perfectly. Right. Just just like this crazy, you know, creation of this community, which is supposed to be perfect. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like, what is this telling us? That well, life it's sort really of telling is the this, same thing, but in a it's really telling watered the same, down, just doesn't work. There's no, it's pointless and it's it's dangerous. <laughs> oh. I would venture. Well, but the good news is, Nathan, no one saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is the silver lining. And <laughs> I did think some of the I, I liked some of the art direction. I mean, some of their choices was in, were interesting. The, yeah, the bicycles I thought were cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's about the extent of it. I love, <laughs> I love that that's what's on the DVD cover. <laughs> Bicycles were cool. That's about the extent of it. Nathan Nathan Haggins. His address is. And Meryl, Meryl, I thought it was the worst I've ever seen her, and it wasn't. It wasn't really her fault. It was just. Yeah, it was nothing. Who knows? Performance. 
and aging up the characters doesn't really do the film any oh, favors because they're clearly like way past puberty, like already kind of adults. Right. And that so that loses some of the, the impact. Um, which I mean I, I think it's fine that they had to do that just casting wise and to make a, a film, but But they could have cast like a nineteen year old who could still pass as fourteen. Right, or me, 29-year-old who could pass as 14. Right, as opposed to... Although I will say, because the movie was such garbage, and, like, really boring... I mean, I was bored. It was super boring, and not that long. a lot of it. And boring. it was only, like, an hour and a half, and I was bored. I did appreciate that they cast 25-year-old Brendan... Brenton Thwaites. Brenton Thwaites, if only because he was really attractive. He's pretty, yeah. yeah. So I could so I could sort of zone out and just be like, oh, you're pretty, and appreciate that. that I even liked good. Katie Holmes. Oh, I always kind of stick up for her for some reason. She's going to be in a robot. Right, exactly. I will say I was just reading a thing the other day, which is something I'm curious about because it, well, the the Meryl Streep part was created for the movie. Right. Which Um, was fine, but. Right. But there is something interesting in young adult novels about this idea of like women in power. Oh, yeah, yeah. Being being like the villain. The villain and corrupt and, and emotionally unavailable. And it's, mm. it's something that happens in the Divergent series. It's something that happens, spoiler alert, in the coming Hunger Games mm. um, with Coin. Yeah. Like there's a, and it's a really interesting thing, especially because most of these books are written by women. So I wonder what that says. I don't have the answer for it, just FYI. I'm just posing it as a deep yes, philosophical question. And that these genres are aimed at younger, younger kids. Younger women. Who are, who are, yeah, younger girls. And usually younger girls. Yeah. And this sort of like inherent distrust of particularly women in power positions, which is what I think is interesting, as if to say that like some sort of weird, warped, messed yeah. up message that women who run things and are in control are also incapable of being decent. Well, the womb gets in the way. I don't know. It's just a really fascinating thing that I don't have an answer for. Hmm. I'm just going to say, blame it on. Well, yeah, when you got a womb on the mind. <laughs> There's no talent. Boom, there it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Um, love, yeah, so we don't really it's recommend not that. Read the book. Read the book. Yeah. Skip the yeah. film. Uh, <laughs> next, we saw something that, again, we would we would all recommend, uh, and that is Love is Strange, um, another independent film directed by Ira Sachs. It's got um, John Lithgow and Alfred Molina as a, as a couple who've been together for 40 almost 40 years. Um living in New York City, they finally get married, um, and because uh, they get married, the Alfred Molina character who works at, like, a religious school as a... A Catholic school. Or a Catholic school. Okay. Um, as, no, a, as a music teacher. That is important, yes. Um, loses his job because, you know, them getting married is, Goes like, against a, their, their morality clause, which right. Catholic schools have. Right. Which is a thing. So then... Um, they can't afford their apartment. They have to move out, and then it's sort of dealing with with that. And there's a lot of um, dealing with their family and and friends and navigating their life yeah. in New York City. I mean, I feel like you can't even really explain much more because it's not super plot driven, um, which is something we all liked, especially Nathan and I. For sure. Yeah, it's character driven. And it's, it felt, I loved it. I loved it, actually. Yeah. And it felt very indulgent. I mean, there's a kind of a negative 
connotation with that word when it comes to filmmaking, I feel like, but it's like the chocolate truffle of movies. Like you, you can really get lost in just the experience of a certain shot or a certain scene or a certain character or a certain feeling and it doesn't feel rushed mm-hmm. and uh, you feel a part of it. Um, I, th- I think, yeah, the fact that it didn't feel rushed, that it, it allowed itself to linger. Yeah, it was like natural. Both the camera work and plot line and all of it. Um, it's organic. It, it was very naturalistic acting styles. Um, I just really appreciate that kind of filmmaking out of American filmmakers, I guess, because I, I feel like you see it more. He's not American. Well, there you go. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess I don't mean American filmmakers. I mean American films. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I feel like I see that kind of style more in foreign films. It may be just that I, the foreign films that I see tend to be the ones that are critically acclaimed, so they tend right. to have this kind of style. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I loved it. Well, I did think, well, I think coming off of what you were piggybacking on what you were just saying is, I had a feeling while I was watching it is of just like, they don't really make movies like this anymore. I feel like this is very much sort of, they made a lot of movies like this in the 70s. You know, these sort of almost like cinema verite, just like small pictures of life that are also like very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that there's something really beautiful and I'm actually curious to get your opinion on it because obviously my experience as a heterosexual woman is very different than yours as two gay men. Um, Spoiler shit. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they're gay and they're hitched. Um, oh. <laughs> so I d- oh, I didn't know you... Not want to give you away that you were married. No, I I wasn't even aware. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't gotten to that chapter. Um, But I thought there was something really great in that it felt like a very beautiful universal love story about two people who have been together for a very long time. Absolutely. In a way that I think is hard to get made, only because I think there's a certain amount of pressure on films made about gay couples Mm -hmm. to sort of be political. Be political yeah. and have a bigger statement. And, like, yep. in different hands, this could have been a movie about how, like, gay marriage is a like, right that everybody should have, which, P.S. it is, everyone should be able to get married. But, like, it's not about that. It's no. really, like, the marriage only even serves the purpose and the complication with his job. Right. That's, like, the only reason it needed to be a gay couple. Otherwise, yeah. like, at, at some point near the end, I was, like, I absolutely was would have still loved this if it was, like... Judy Dench and John Lithgow. That's like, what I mean. Like it could, it could have, have easily been the same thing. Or like too late. Like it was just a really beautiful sort of like, and they were so great together. Mm-hmm. I actually loved, even though I think we all have our problems with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this really great part where Alfred Molina's character in voiceover reads a letter that he's sent to all the parents of his students that he taught. So he was a music teacher. And the thing is, is that he even talks about when he's being fired, that like all of the school community, including the parents and the students knew that he had a live-in partner. And like the administration, like it's it's not even like the higher ups at the specific school. It's like the archdiocese, like the the heads of the Catholic church. Right. Because it was like 
put in marriage. You right. Know? That all of a sudden now, and so he writes this really beautiful letter about, you know, not blaming, not blaming the administration for being fired, but also about the idea that, like, please just use this opportunity to tell your children never to feel like they have to hide anything mm-hmm. or change who they are. And it wasn't like a specifically gay message. It was just about, in general, like, understanding the difference between sometimes, like, doing the thing that's right for you and something that, you know, yeah. potentially have. Um, and, and also that he ended it with, like, a quote from scripture and, mm-hmm. and that he even says, like, I still believe that Jesus Christ is my savior. I just don't want to pray with you right now. Like, right, again, and those aren't necessarily my own beliefs, but I liked that the film, like, allowed for it, which I think is something that also isn't seen. I like that his morals and, and basis aren't questioned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was something really real and natural about that that I found really kind of uplifting. Definitely. I think there, I would maybe slightly just, I think there are films that are made like this lately. And I, I mean, I definitely see like, you know, the 70s influence right. and whatnot, but it, it almost just felt like that because, and not even the gay thing, but just some of these, the characters are just so richly drawn mm-hmm. that they're, they feel like characters we've never seen before, but at the same time, they felt super intimate. Like we knew them. They felt like, like people everyone. we know in real life. Right. Yeah. Right. But still f- totally fresh. And like, we haven't seen the situation or these specific characters before. I love, I mean, I always love, but Marissa Tomei is fantastic. She's, super She's always so good. And I like I, to think of myself as the Marissa Tomei to your Jonathan. <laughs> Great. I just love too that like even she like shaded herself with some flaw and like even like her introduction, she's giving like a speech right after their wedding and it's kind of self-indulgent. Self-indulgent. Like she's, it is. Yeah. And but, you're like, whoa. But so New York too. Oh, it's totally. Like a, totally New York. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. would you guys agree that New York is definitely like the third character? In this <laughs> oh, <it> sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was really beautifully shot. It's funny because you know we talked about the doldrums of the end of summer and being super poor. Mm-hmm. And this is the time when we spoiler alert. <laughs> These things are spoilers. Yeah. I just really like that phrase. <laughs> you know, we live in we live in New York City. We live in Brooklyn, and mm. there are times when I get really frustrated about living here, and then I see a movie like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I came away with so much right. affection. Well, and it was totally, you know, yes, New York was a character, but they were also, like, <laughs> it needed to take place here and be in this, like, specific real estate market. Yeah. And, you know, the John Lithgow yeah. character was an artist who, you know, was retired. I don't know what, they didn't really state what his Pension previous job might have been. Yeah. yeah, but that it sort of needed to take place in New York. And yeah. Was yeah. Well, I think the other thing is it it bothered me a little, or at least it was something I thought about before seeing the movie that they cast John Lithgow and, and Alfred Molina to play two gay characters when ostensibly at least both of them are straight. They are. I mean, they they are, but whatever. Um, But, you know, also as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, to get, well, A, to get the film made. Right. Yep. And to get it made for this quality, with this level of quality and the quality acting, and to get it distributed well and to uh, get in front of the audiences that it needs to get in front of mm-hmm. to be appreciated. 
Um, I, and I, I guess I mean like beyond the gay community because it is a film right. that should be that is universal and it should be, and it should be seen by strange. everyone who's interested <laughs> in the you know this kind of movie. Um, I think that was necessary to get those two big names. Um, and, and they are really good. They're, you know, gay men that age are hard to come by well, that was in the other thing I was gonna say. Hollywood because it, if they did come out, they weren't on as much of a fast track to stardom. Right. Um, or they just never came out. Right. Whereas... Well, I mean, 30, 40 years from now, it'll be a lot easier to find, too. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Like, this is a, I guess this is a case where, because yeah. I get really upset, more upset about um, cast, like, uh, casting, like, for the upcoming movie Exodus, um, yeah. which is... All white people playing Egyptians. All Africans. white people, like, with their skin painted, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's horrendous. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, and there's really no excuse whatsoever. Like, it doesn't even... It, it right. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Whereas, I Whereas this yeah. is... I mean, it's less of a visual sort of thing, first of all. A visual difference. Um, and it, for the reasons I stated, I think it, it didn't bother me that much. Well, and I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as, like, obviously it's important that they cast older actors because it's a story of... Right, right. A love affair of 40 years. And even thinking about actors who are really still actively working, who would mm -hmm. be in that age range, who are openly gay. Honestly, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is Ian McKellen. Yeah, that's who I thought. Older, He's probably too old. Yeah. For... I don't see him in this movie. No, but yeah. that's what I mean, that it's like, it's not like... Oh, but could you imagine him Thompson. and Christopher Plummer's character from Beginners in this film? <laughs> in a different film. Yeah. That's next. Well, I, speaking of... <laughs> Beginners, which I was a little bit reminded by this, really mm. sadly, only because I think the like older gay character, but also because it was such a, in a way, like a real love story. Like it, mm -hmm. it felt intimate. It felt like we were glancing on someone's life. They all felt like people I could know. Yeah. And Christopher Plummer's performance was so subtle and beautiful and thought out. And this was a case of like a straight man playing a gay man, but he didn't, as we talked about when we talked about normal heart in our Emmys podcast and Mark Ruffalo, oh. like he didn't play the gay. He played the person. No. Yeah. And John Lithgow and, and Alfred Molina were so beautiful together. And even just like the way they would touch each other or not touch totally. each other, the way they would interact, like just felt like any couple that has known each other for a long time. And regardless I Orientation. love that for the majority of the film they're not together but no. you get I mean a you get a fantastic opening sequence like where the credits oh, are rolling so and you good. see them like getting ready for the day and it's it ends up being them getting ready for their wedding but it's just like the interactions they have with each other and with like the housekeeper and like you totally are like peering in on their life and it's so natural. You see, like, just the way they, they banter. I love the, like, clearly... do you have cash? We need cash for this. Right. It's such a, such a, like, old Like, movie. oh, I told you we should have contacted the car service. Oh, don't right. walk so fast. I don't want to sweat in this suit. Right. Like, you, it's it's so great. And then they spend the rest, most of the rest of the movie apart. But you still sense that connection and you still can see. And they're that they're not, like, torn apart over being not physically together. Right. Even after they've gotten married, it's like, okay, we've been together for 40 years. We can weather we, this We can storm. do this. Like, right. It's it's a testament to those performances and to the, the quality of the filmmaking 
And of in the first all half. the performances, I have to say my favorite, and this is the final thing I would say about this movie. And I have liked him for a long time, and I think he's great. I think maybe Alfred Molina has never been better. Like, I, and I don't know what it was about his performance, but I was so affected by him. I thought he was yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. He was so natural and in it. And again, there was nothing about him. Like, there are a few moments where I felt like John Lithgow was maybe playing up the face side of the character. Mm. Which might also be just John Lithgow, because sometimes right, so it's very theatrical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, theatrical. And, and I think it was also sort of appropriate for the character, character right? Yeah, that character true. was supposed to be the little bit more, and, and Alfred Molina yeah. was more grounded, but I don't know, It was. it's the most I've ever liked Alfred Molina. I would totally, also it's the first time I've really seen him as a romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Like, I would totally cast him in like a romantic movie with Meryl Streep or Glenn uh-huh. Close or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I... I this is my favorite Alfred Molina performance, and unfortunately, even in the movie, it's the quieter of the two. Right. And in the upcoming season, it'll be quiet. That there's no way it'll be remembered come award season. Right. But I, I feel like either, I don't think but... the movie will either. But I think that that I mean I haven't been affected by a performance of as his. much as I was of of anyone. Oh wow. As his. so I mean again I haven't seen many things to come out, but he would be like on my short list right now because I thought he was so good. Yeah. So I think we definitely recommend this one. Seek it out. It's, it was released a couple weeks ago here in New York. I think it's having more of a a rollout, you know, platform release. So hopefully it will make its way to you. Um, Otherwise I'm sure it will be on video cassette tape soon. (laughs) VCR. Yes. On, on uh, Betamax. Isn't that what came, came before VZS? I don't know. We're too young for that. Yeah. Who knows? Um, um, but if you had to pick, now that this is our summer wrap-up, yeah. if you had to pick your favorite film of summer 2014 that we saw, and there are definitely some that we didn't see, like Neighbors was super successful. We avoided all Michael Bay films because no thank you. Hard what pass. was oh, your some, favorite? Some t- I'm not like anti- I mean, I guess. No, I guess just anti-Transformers and... Well, I think it's safe to say, like, anti-Michael Bay the last, like, five to ten years. Okay, yes. I mean, we know that Armageddon did well for <laughs> right. us in the summer summer movie blockbuster. But, um, I have... Since when it's, like, the making, third, fourth, fifth film right. in the franchise. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what was your favorite film of the summer, Nathan? I have to say Love is Strange, and it could be that it's the most recent film that I saw. Um, Could be. I mean, obviously that, well, yeah. I mean, that that plays into it for sure. Um, But I I also have a definite top three. Is this cheating? No. No. Um, Not in any specific order except Love is Strange. I just picked out as the top, I guess. But um, Boyhood and Snowpiercer Mm -hmm. were my other two that I I just... um, Really enjoyed. That's why you should. Elizabeth? Um, yeah, I have to, you know, have a caveat. I would say the two I was most impressed with and everyone should see, and I also really enjoyed both of them, just as like filmmakers really pushing themselves and doing something different. Everyone should see Snowpiercer and everyone should see Boyhood. Mm-hmm. Because we need more films like that to be made. And for directors and 
production companies to feel like they have the space to really experiment and give us yep. new things. They were probably the most exciting things visually I've mm-hmm. seen all summer. And then I would probably have a tie for favorite of the summer. One being the one that resonated the most, which I think would be Love is Strange. And then the other for just the most fun I had on a hot day in a theater, which was Guardians of the Galaxy, which... There's a place for that. It was summer. Summer films. Great summer. If that one was on our summer blockbuster list, it would get far for me. Hmm. Still wouldn't be Jurassic Park, but... Well, no. What would? (laughs) Um, I will co-sign all of those. I think everyone should see... Snowpiercer, they should definitely see Boyhood. They should seek out Love is Strange. You've all seen Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think it was a lot of fun. If you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, I think that would be my favorite, like, summer, summer film. Like, it was an action. It was great. Not stupid, but, you know, just like a, a summer film. Like, I would definitely rewatch that in a heartbeat. I really. Also, best it. female action hero in a long time. Emily Blunt. Um, mm-hmm. But if I had to pick, like, number one, I would probably say Boyhood. Which I wasn't as high on, like right after we got out of the theater, but it's really sticking with me, and I'm really appreciating what it did. I think that's Wait, my number one we didn't in summer. Lucy. Oh well, I think that goes without saying that even though we haven't seen Nathan and I haven't seen it, Lucy was like the story of the summer. Lucy should probably win all of the Oscars. Oh, it will because she's gonna manipulate all the voting with her her brain. <laughs> Like and Morgan Freeman for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> no, Scarlett Johansson will just win all four acting awards. <laughs> Oy, Lucy. <laughs> Way to bring it bring it down at the end, Elizabeth. <laughs> but yeah, overall, you know, the box office was way down for the summer, but we found some gems. It's true. We did. It's summer twenty fourteen. That is a wrap. We'll be back uh, with Probably some some fall films now that we're going to start to get into Oscar season. There's mm-hmm. some really exciting stuff that we're looking forward to. And we've got a horror bracket coming up in oh, October. Oh, sure, for October. Look out for that. Oh, gosh. Oh, my. You betcha. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you had a great summer. And we will see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.